Hi, this is your host, Jeff Ragavan, and you're listening to Marketing Mix, where we hear from some of the most influential CMOs of today to discuss the strategies of tomorrow. Welcome to Marketing Mix. We've got a great show today. We've got Jeff Glick, CEO of Foursquare with us. Jeff, it's awesome to have you on. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. So, Jeff, you're, you're at Foursquare now. The company has really evolved since its inception. So I would love for you to talk to all of our viewers on, like, what's going on at Foursquare? Like, what's the latest? Well, I think many of your viewers may remember Foursquare from our early years, uh, founded nine years ago, as uh, the company that invented the mobile local check-in and um, as a consumer social uh, app. Well, we've done 13 billion check-ins to date, so uh, still do a billion a year. But the company overwhelmingly now really is a location technology platform. We're really a B2B enterprise company. And so we've grown tremendously. And your your viewers should think of us uh, as a company that's enabling contextual awareness and the next generation of location technology um, across the board. Uh, so if you tag a tweet on Twitter, that's Foursquare technology. If you get a geofilter uh, on Snapchat, you're you're using Foursquare technology. Much of the content on Apple Maps comes from Foursquare. If you get paired on Tinder in their new feature that pairs people, not just on who's close, but who has a common set of places they love as a great match for you, that's Foursquare technology. If TripAdvisor says, hey, you're around the corner in Barcelona from this amazing tapas place that your friend uh, Jeff R. recommended, you got to stop and go in there. That's Foursquare technology at work in, in TripAdvisor. If you get a location weather alert in AccuWeather, that's that's Foursquare. And, and 150,000 uh, developers use our technology to make their apps contextually aware and to be able to kind of tap you on the shoulder like a friend when you're near interesting or you've arrived at a place where you can save money or discover something new. And so that's a lot of what we do. And then we also help uh, some of the top brands in the world connect with audiences who are going to be interested in their offerings because of the the way they move around the physical world. And, um, you know, you might want to connect with people who are yoga fanatics or or people who are fast food junkies or people who love going to movie theaters. And we have a massive data set that helps us understand uh, audiences in the real world. So that's that's kind of Foursquare today. And it might be eye-opening to your listeners that uh, we touch over a billion people uh, a month through the apps that we power. And, and a lot of people don't realize that. You're connecting the digital and the physical world together. I find it really fascinating, too, when you just mentioned, you know, talking about weather alerts in particular. And I've noticed in the last year alone is that the amount of information that is coming to my mobile phone, like the other day, I got an alert saying, you know, rain is starting in your area in six minutes. And I was fascinated by that because I actually, I went to school for meteorology, believe it or not, which most people don't know. It's true. I was supposed to be a weatherman. But I looked at the radar and it literally started raining in five minutes. And how precise that was, was just wild to me because I was in a very specific area and other people got different alerts depending on where they live. And so that's super cool. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we think about is contextual awareness. So 
when someone like a dark sky uh, pioneers sort of micro weather alerts, like the kind you're, you've talked about, that is just, I know my, my latitude and longitude and, and rain clouds are approaching and that's powerful. What we're trying to add on top of that for our partner AccuWeather is contextual urgency. So the example that makes that easier to understand is if you're at uh, Yankee Stadium and it's about to downpour in six minutes, you need to know and <laughs> you need to know now uh, to, to get uh, to cover. Um, but if you're in your office at 2.30 in the afternoon and it's about to rain in six minutes uh, and you're there all the time and you usually leave at six, it doesn't matter. And so context is really important. You know, the context of are you arriving at this tapas place in Barcelona for the first time and you're a tourist or you work there and it's your thousandth arrival uh, to that restaurant. So that's what I mean by context. And that's sort of what we're doing. And we, you know, for us, context means helping coupon apps remind you that you've got a coupon to save money. But it also, it also, you know, it helps Uber, for instance, if you type a place into Uber, uh, almost anywhere in the world, like, take me to the Lowe's Cinema on 13th Street, that lookup is, uh, is, is the Foursquare database helping Uber or Didi around the world outside China or Grab Taxi in Southeast Asia. That's our database of 105 million places that powers that ability for the Uber driver to know where that Lowe's Cinema is. Obviously, location intelligence is at the forefront. So how, how do you package it differently for different folks, right? Because you really have to align with their business model. So how do you guys look at that? Well, I, I generally divide what we do into three, three buckets, and they each have kind of use-based business models. Uh, so uh, when we work with developers like Uber or Apple or TripAdvisor or AccuWeather and others, um, we're helping them on kind of an API call basis, you know, Samsung phones uh, and the Bixby AI agent uh, use our capabilities. And for instance, they call us half a billion times a day from the Samsung Galaxy phones and, and to make the Samsung contextually aware and smarter in an AI sense. And so, um, so that's a usage-based kind of uh, developer model with our SDK and API. Those are developer tools to make your app smarter. And then uh, a second bucket is analytics. And so we help folks um, understand particularly whether advertising is working. There's the old adage, uh, half my advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. And so the holy grail, since 90% of consumer spending today, 2018, is in the real world, in the bricks and mortar world. And all of Amazon is 4% of US consumer spending, uh, which people forget. Um, you know, you had groceries and clothing and, and cars and all of these things we buy and services. Um, we still consume them overwhelmingly in the physical world. And so connecting, hey, I advertise for my 30,000 Subway sandwich shops across North America. How do I know if anyone cares and it has an impact on my business? For the first time, because Foursquare connects the digital world and the physical world at scale, we're able to tell Subway or tell Whole Foods or tell uh, you know advertisers on Twitter that yes, your ads are actually incrementally driving people into these thousands of locations. Um, versus a control group that didn't see the ads. And so that's analytics. We also help major hedge funds kind of anonymously in an aggregate see shifting 
foot traffic trends. So, hey, you know, Chipotle is down or, uh, you know, Target is actually up this quarter, things like that to better understand economic trends. And then lastly, uh, we, we help create audiences and segment audiences. So uh, we help 50 of the top 100 advertisers in the U.S., for instance, find people who are going to be interested in their products from the universe of 300 million people based on their real world behavior, not their digital behavior, but actually how they spend their time all day. And so that's, uh, that's a, a more of an advertising or segment driven business model. So that's, those are the three models. You're in big data territory. So how do you guys maintain trust with consumers, especially in light of everything that's taken place over the last year with data protection and privacy and all these really important things that people are concerned about? I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. We think about this uh, every day. I mean, data is a privilege for us. We started as a consumer location business. So we have this trusted bond with our users from our core DNA around location is, is sensitive for people. And so uh, we've had to put in place all kinds of privacy protections from the beginning and think about this from the beginning because location was always super uh, sensitive for tons of people. And, and so everything we always do is based on a very transparent opt-in uh, and disclosure and notice and choice. And this year, for instance, when we when Europe put in place what's called GDPR, we made those new data rights because it's your data uh, available to all of the users globally, not only of of our consumer apps, but also anyone who uses you know the, the thousands of apps that depend on us. So if you want to opt out later, you want to be forgotten, you want to export your data, we offer that as a choice to, to anyone globally um, who's opted into our, our technology across the whole network. So that's, that sense of data as a privilege is really deep to us. Um, we often talk about you know, creating value for users through that location context, and it has to be visible value to the user. Because if you opt in to share your background location, um, you deserve more personalized, more relevant services in return um, otherwise, no one should grant that right. And, and we, we sort of talk about the apocryphal flashlight app that asks for your, your background location. What, how does it make it better, the flashlight, uh, by sharing by context? You can see why they might want that information, but does it help you as a user? So that's where we always start is everything we build is about being so accurate and precise, unlike kind of course geofences we really kind of understand multi-story buildings and dense urban areas and that you went to the juice generation and not the yoga studio next door um that you went to the vegan restaurant and not the steakhouse next door you know those are very different things and so we built the technology to be hyper precise because it wasn't designed to extract data it was designed to make people's lives better and so we really believe this and we think technology can be part of the solution, not just part of the problem. Um, and so that's why we put a lot of thought into it. Um, you know, uh, we have a whole ethics training program here. And one of the things that I love that, that some of the leading tech uh, ethicists talk about is kind of a Hippocratic oath where, you know, people trust you with their data. And the, the credo for us here is, is do no harm, right? Are we, are we making people's lives better? Are we saving them money? Are they 
where we're reminding them that they're around the corner from that amazing tapas place in Barcelona uh, that their buddy said you can't miss. You know, are we are we affecting the physical joys and creating memories? Um, and obviously, we need to have a sustainable business, but doing so in a really privacy um, by design style. And so that's that's how we think about it. And you know, I it's it's I'm a I'm a father of three young kids, um, so it's it's always upsetting when you see certain actors in in tech not following those high standards around opt-in and disclosure and creating value. How do you think, you know, location technology in particular is reshaping marketing and not just marketing, but content creation in general? Well, uh, this is, this is what we, we live. So we, we, we love, we love kind of inventing the future. That's one of our core values here. So, you know, I mean, I'm, we're, we're really proud of, of using location to reshape how consumers experience the real world. So I, I talked a little bit about working with, you know, Tinder recently on how can they rethink how Tinder works um, so that you're, you're paired with people who aren't just, you know, within a few miles at this moment, but you actually have something in common with, you know, you, you go to the same cold brew coffee shop in Brooklyn, you show up at the same dog park every day. Um, you, have, you have something in common and some common value, some common uh, cross paths. And what, what Tinder's finding so far is that, that using these location signals to personalize the matches, kind of how Spotify uses you know, the songs that you've liked to recommend better songs, that, that, that leads to better matches. So they're seeing um, better reciprocal invitations to swipes, so to speak. Uh, because you know something about the person, you have something in common, they're just not within five miles randomly and you, you can, you can start the conversation off on a common ground. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's one way that we're helping folks. When I talked about making location more contextually aware, um, we, we worked with Samsung on augmented reality, which augmented reality is not to be confused with virtual reality. Augmented reality is, you know, using devices to overlay information over the real world as you move about and mobile is, perfect vehicle for this. So we worked with the Bixby team at Samsung. And now all the Galaxy phones um, are able, with the click of a button, as you lift the camera up, you can click the Bixby button and you can overlay information over the businesses as you scan around you in 200 countries with the name of the business you're looking at, a rating um, some tips or reviews about it, uh, information, it's phone number and hours, um, just on an AR vector. Um, and you can do that globally because Foursquare data is, is global in 100 million places around the globe. And that kind of capability, that's what we're, we're interested in. Um, and where, you know, where else could it go in the future? Can games be contextually aware? Can social be more contextually aware? Um, Travel is something we think a lot about. We worked with um, the Hilton Honors app this year. Um, you know, with Airbnb proliferating, people expect more when they're traveling. They expect to kind of be able to live like a local. And, you know, Airbnb has those famous local guides. And so what we wanted to do is give that kind of the best of a concierge recommendation and the best of the whole Foursquare community with hundreds of millions of reviews and photos so um, we combine those. And so the Hidden Honors app now, wherever you are, wherever you're staying, you can, you can sort of ask the, the, 
concierge what's interesting near you, but you also can tap the whole Foursquare recommendation uh, algorithm. Um, and so that's that's kind of where where this is going. Is you don't have to wait in line at the concierge desk to know the you know the best uh, cheese shop or the a great uh, you know pâtisserie near the Hilton in Paris. You know you have all that information um, at your fingertips, uh, and that's that's where technology is making life better. All of this is amazing, and I I, I just want to say from a Foursquare perspective, congrats to you and the team on really moving the company in a, in, a, in a different era and a different world around data and kind of making everything smarter and better. So I love that. But what I really want to get to, Jeff, is about you. And I, I was curious when we first kicked off the show, you know, you were a fellow at the White House. You went from politics yes. into technology. What happened there? You know, in uh, in my twenties, I I had what I I call my sort of uh, myth of Sisyphus uh, days, trying to to make the world better um, in a kind of more nonprofit way. So I I worked on poverty in Latin America, in Peru and Venezuela and places like that. I worked on Middle East peace, and then I I went to the White House on this White House Fellows Program, which if your listeners ever want to read up on it, it's a phenomenal program. It takes about 25 mid-career business people or military rising uh, young officers into work directly for, you know, a, a cabinet member as a kind of right-hand person for a year or head of a U.S. government agency for a year. And it started by Lyndon Johnson to bring leaders into government who then, you know, might go back to the private sector with more appreciation for what life in government is like. Um, and and so I arrived at the in the Clinton administration um, and worked on clean energy as you said, and climate change. But uh, at that time, in the, it was just after the Kyoto Protocol was was rejected by the U.S. Senate. And um, I had a chance to stay on for the last year of the Clinton administration, but it was not going to get much done on climate change at that point. It's 1999. And so what did I do? I was like, let's start an internet company with my friend, uh, Michelle Peluso, who's an amazing uh, business person. We were both at the White House. We left. We moved to New York. It was 1999. And we started a, a last-minute travel deals website called Site 59. We grew it to $120 million in sales in two years. We had to survive um, you know, not just the dot-com bust, which happened in March 2000 or so, uh, and still survive and raise money. But then you know, 9-11 happened. And Last minute travel was not uh, a popular thing for a number of months, and we our offices were we were shut out of our offices, which were a block and a half from the World Trade Center in downtown New York. So we had to survive all of these awful things that were happening in our city, in our industry, uh, in the world, um, and we, we we some persevered. We learned some grit, uh, and then Travelocity ended up acquiring the company, uh, and that's how I. Uh, a guy with a lot of policy interests ended up in business. And I just sort of had this sense that technology and startups and entrepreneurship was where you place where you could make change. You know, you didn't have to write a report and wait for some government <laughs> agency to implement it. You could just go create the future that you wanted to see in the world. And it was an incredible time. And it still is with tech and venture capital to go just do it. And so, and it's exhilarating to work with talented people to, to in this kind of permissionless internet world and just go build things and see if people like them. And, and that's been a blast for me. I think it's a great story. And it's also, 
I think it's very reassuring to a lot of people that you can totally go in a different direction, no matter what your career. Uh, so before we break, I know we've, we've got only a limited amount of time, but any favorite interests, hobbies? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a father of three. So a lot of, of, uh, of what I'm doing is hanging out with my young kids playing rummy cube and uno on the weekends when I'm not, uh, in tech. I also, you know, anyone who follows my Twitter feed knows I'm a Mm -hmm. big believer in, recruiting new talent into our political sphere personally. And so this is nothing to do with Foursquare. It's just my personal interests. Um, so I worked with a group called the Arena, uh, arena.run, which is a great, a great nonprofit that recruits people, veterans, people of color, women to run for office for the first time. And I was very involved in this last cycle. And just, you know, we support them with fundraising and narratives and messaging training and campaign organizing help and all that. It's been a blast to see uh, just this talented group of people that just got elected. And that's, that's my personal, uh, my, my work stuff. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for all of the, the great, inspiring talk and everything that you guys are doing at Foursquare. It's been a true pleasure. No, I, really, I really appreciate the invitation. Glad, glad to talk. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for tuning in to Marketing Mix. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Be sure to share and subscribe. Until next time, take care.